Amen. You guys can find a seat. You guys give it up for the worship team. You're doing such a great job. I, um, I love hearing you guys sing. I ask this every time, how are we feeling this morning? We're feeling good? All right. Awesome. Hey, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead, open up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> I'll give you some time to do so. Give me a thumbs up when you guys are there. You. All right, I'm going to read this verse, and we're going to kind of dive in today and what it means to live a life on purpose and a life on mission. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, I pray for these students in this room. God, would you give them a zeal and a passion to not only know you more, that God, share that knowledge with those that don't know you. God, it's this simple message that you share with us. It's this simple command that you give us. And God, as we read this command, God, I pray something would stir up within us. God, something that would change our actions and the way that we live down the hill to make our lives not only reflect the gospel, but God, give us the boldness to speak the gospel as well. You are a good God, and we worship and praise you. God, it's so amazing to hear a thousand students singing, how great is our God. God, I pray that we would live that way in return. God, that these words that we're singing are not just words. That they would be backed up by a life filled with worship. So God, I'm thankful for this morning. Would you challenge us, and would you show us who you are? We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 28, commonly known in the church, and maybe you guys don't even know this, but it's okay. It's totally okay. But this passage is commonly referred to as the Great Commission, the Great Commission. And within the Great Commission, you have a command that is given by God. It's not a suggestion. It's not something God wants to tell us to help us live a better life. He has given us a command. And just like Brian was talking about on the first night, man, how many of us have asked the question over and over and over again, God, what is my purpose? What is your will for my life? Where am I, good, where am I to go to school? What am I to do with my career? What am I, what am I called to do? What are all these things? I, I, and we act as if God is just going to show up in our room before us and tell us exactly what we're going to do for the next 40 years of our life. And can I just tell you, for somebody that believes in this and knows the word of God, God has given us a purpose. He has given us everything that we need to go and accomplish his purpose. And for some of you guys, man, maybe your life isn't about purpose. Maybe your life is about achieving things. 
and seeing how good of a college you could go to or how good of a career you can have or essentially, man, how successful you can be in your sport or whatever it is. There's this interview that Tom Brady has with, I think it was 60 Minutes, and in this interview, the interviewer is asking him, man, what, what, what else is next for you? And Tom Brady has this, almost this midlife crisis in a way. He, at, he basically says, man, I have three, I think at the time he had three, how many Super Bowl rings does Tom Brady have? He has seven, holy smokes. Um, so at the time, Tom Brady only had three Super Bowl rings. But at this time, as he was doing this interview, he's like, man, I got three rings. I've got an amazing family, an amazing wife, amazing children. I'm successful in the thing that I've always wanted to be successful in since I was a young boy. I've got everything that I have ever wanted, yet I, I, I got to know there, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And in this interview, you can see just in his eyes, he just doesn't know. He's confused why he still is left wanting after this amazing career that he's had with the Patriots. And in this moment, he's just reflecting on his life, and he, he realizes, man, these things are good, and I'm glad that I was able to accomplish these things. Yet at the same time, my, my life feels void of any meaning or purpose. It still feels like I need to do something. And the truth is, is that, man, more than what we achieve and what we're able to do, every single human being that has ever lived or ever existed has been driven by a purpose that is beyond those things. Viktor Frankl is this famous author, and he's a Holocaust survivor. And he spent many years... Um, in a concentration camp, and he was this Jewish man that was a psychologist as well, and so he, uh, before he was taken to the concentration camp, he was, he was a psychologist, and he would study people, and as he was brought to this place of suffering and anguish, and as he saw people just treated like animals, and as he saw just the dehumanization of an entire people group, he decided to write a book, and it's a famous book, and this is after he had gotten out. It's a famous book. It's called Man's Search for Meaning, and in this book, he's talking about in the midst of all this chaos that he's experienced, all these things that he's watched before his very eyes and experienced for himself, he decided to put it down on paper and extract what it is that life is all about. And in this moment, in one, of, in one of the pages, in one of the passages, I want to say passages, but quotes that he writes is this famous quote, and he says, life is never made unbearable by circumstance. Life is never made unbearable by circumstance, only by a lack of meaning and purpose. So here's this man, Viktor Frankl, He's a very smart guy, but he's placed in this place of immeasurable suffering where he's just surrounded by evil. And he's surrounded, and he's seeing this brutality take place right before his very eyes. And what does he have to say about life? He says, life is never made unbearable by circumstances. Somebody that had every right to say, man, life is made unbearable by circumstances. I'm placed, I was placed through a living hell. But that's not what he says. 
He says, life is only made unbearable by a lack of meaning and purpose. And the hardest thing for him to watch wasn't the brutality and the physical harm that these people had to go through. It was the fact that they lost hope in meaning and purpose in their lives. When their families were gone. When everything was taken away from them. And in the same way we ask the question, yet we don't have lives that are nearly as tumultuous. Though we have hard lives, I'm sure some of you have lives that are hard. And we ask ourselves the question, what is my purpose? And we find it in all these passing things, our career, our college, all these things like I said earlier. And can I just encourage you, you can find it in the word of God. You can find it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a Christian, you have no greater purpose than to know God and share that knowledge with those that don't know him. So we're going to answer that question today, what is my purpose? And we're going to answer it in four ways. Who, what, where, and why? Who has called me to this amazing purpose? What it is, what is it that is my purpose? We're going to look at this passage. Where am I to go to fulfill this? And the last question, the most important question, why? Why am I to go and do this? And so we're all going to do it by reading through this passage together. Let's do it. Verse 18, chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Here's what it says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Okay, immediately, as we read that passage, it says, And Jesus came and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. What immediately sounds like just happened is that, man, we got to look back at what just happened. Because if he's saying, Go therefore, He's saying, go therefore in light of what had just occurred. And Jesus saying, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying, something just happened that has given me all authority. And some of you guys who know the Bible and probably are questioning me in a, in a sense, are like, well, I thought God, I thought Jesus already had authority throughout his entire life. He was healing lepers. He healed, he brought Lazarus back from the dead. He was, he was constantly healing people. He turned water into wine, all these different things. And so you might be asking yourself the question, yourself the question, man, did Jesus not have authority before this? Of course, Jesus had authority before this. But in this moment, Jesus had just done the greatest miracle on the history, in the history of mankind. Jesus had just risen from the dead, and he's appearing before his disciples. And it says right before that his disciples fell to his feet and were grabbing his feet as they saw the risen Jesus, this guy that they spend three years with, traveling, seeing this guy do miracle after miracle. They thought he was dead, and he appears before them. And what does he do? He gives them a command, and he says, go. If you were in that moment, if you saw Jesus after spending three years with him, believing he was the Messiah, and then all of a sudden, hopeless because you thought he was gone, and he appeared before you, holding the keys to death and life, 
saying, it doesn't matter what you think, I am telling you to go, what would your response be? What would your response be? Jesus himself standing before you. Would you say, well, Jesus, first got to figure out my purpose. <laughs> or Jesus, first got to figure out what my career is going to be. And i got to pursue those things for at least eight years. And then, and then ask me that question again. Or tell me to do that again. Would you ever do that before Christ? No. And in the same way as disciples... And that word disciple there, a lot of times people have questions about what that means. And what does it actually mean to be a disciple? Simply, if you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life to him, and you've repented, and you've called upon the name of the Lord, and you've been saved, then you are a disciple. And so when Jesus says he's come, or when the Bible says Jesus came before his disciples, obviously he's talking contextually about these people, these disciples here but you can take this as a command for yourself as well. Why? Because if you're a believer, then you're a disciple as well. Disciple simply just means you're a student. You're a student of God's word, like Brian's been talking about. And man, if we, we pro- profess to love Christ, if we say, man, I love Jesus, then we have to love the word of God. Why? Because that's how we get to know him. If you were married to somebody and you said, man, I really truly love this person, yet at the same time you didn't really have any desire to get to know them, that wouldn't make any sense at all. You have to get to know somebody that you profess to love. And in the same way, if you profess to love God, then you have to get to know him. And so as we read this, and I pray that something stirs up within you, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, there's this, there's this passage where Isaiah has this vision, right? And it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, and he was high and he was lifted up. And Isaiah's having this vision of God. And this is in the Old Testament where there was prophets. And Isaiah was a prophet. And in that time, God would give these prophets visions so that they could take that vision and share it with the people. And Isaiah has this vision of God. And in that moment, I have to think that, man, he didn't even have language to describe what he was seeing. He just said, God, he just said, I saw the Lord, and he was, he was high, and he was lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And then there was these angels, they're called the burning ones. These angels that were surrounding his throne 24-7 saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, never ceasing. And in this moment, Isaiah is on his knees and he doesn't know what to do because he is seeing God himself. So what does he say? He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. So instantly, when, when, when Isaiah actually sees who this God is, he responds by looking at himself and saying, I'm filthy. How can I even stand before you? God, depart from me. I'm a, I'm a wicked man. Woe is me. Not only does he say that, he says that about the people that he's with. And at the time, nation of Israel was rebelling against God, and so they were rejecting him. 
And God gives him a vision to remind Isaiah who he really is. And then God asks this question. Yes, rhetorical question. And he says, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And then, already knowing the answer, God knows the answer to this question. Isaiah responds and says, here I am, Lord, send me. And if that same God, like I said earlier, asked you to go and make disciples of all nations, do you think that's a suggestion? You think he's just suggesting it? No, if we believe in Jesus Christ, something in us, this passion for the gospel, perhaps you're even feeling it this week, and you even have God placing names and people on your mind and on your heart to go and share this with. And there's people in your life you know, in your family, in your friend groups that you know, man, I wish they knew this. And may this be the time as we're reading through this, chapter 28, the book of Matthew, where you're challenged and commanded to go and share with them. And if the God of the universe, like Isaiah saw, the vision of God, stood before you and said, go, what would your response be? And I pray and hope it be, here I am, send me. I will do anything for you, Lord. I would go anywhere. Yes, I, I'm planning to be a lawyer. Yes, I'm planning to do these things. But those things, man, I'll continue to do that. But wherever I go, as long as I'm there, the gospel is being lived and the gospel is being preached. Wherever you go, whatever college you go to, whatever profession you get into, we need people not just in ministry to be sharing the gospel. We need you guys that are going out into these different communities and in these different work cultures and all these different schools to be light in darkness. The natural question now is to say, man, what are we to do? What is my purpose? I know who is calling me to live a life on purpose, but what is it that he's called me to do? Well, it's right here in the passage. It says, go therefore and make, what? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then lastly, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And in this moment, I mean, I want you to see three things. That all three of those things, baptism, discipleship, and teaching, happen somewhere. And they happen at your local church. All three of those things, baptism, discipleship, and teaching, are all happening at your local church. And so the problem, man, the statistics that you read about 18 to 24-year-olds leaving the church after high school, why? Because they, they don't really feel call there anymore. Either, either life got too complicated, too complex for them to actually continue to go to church, or they just felt a lack of meaning. They thought church was boring. They felt like, man, youth group gave me meaning, but that big church, I don't really want to go there. And not only that, but we've become consumeristic in the way that we go to church. We make a list of things that we like and that we don't like. And we keep just adding to the list. We see something we don't like, we write it on the list. Oh, I didn't like what he said. I'm going to write that down. I don't like that worship song. I'm going to write that down. And then the list gets so huge that no church ever could ever meet 
those standards. And as a result, man, we're just consuming, consuming, consuming. Man, what is, I don't like the, the way that this person does it. I don't like the way that this person does it. And then we just want to become consumers. And that's not what it's about at all. Being a part of the church is not about what you get from it. Being a part of the church is about living a life on mission. And if you were to be a part of the church that the Bible talks about, can I just tell you, it's, life's not meant to be boring. And some of you guys, man, you have this passion to go and evangelize. And I pray that God continues to stir up the passion in you. Evangelism, I know I just used that word. Evangelism is basically just sharing the gospel. And so you guys have this passion maybe to share the gospel and the truth of God's word with people. Can I just tell you, start at your local church. And just start there. If you just plug in and, and, and serve without feeling the need to be served, if you, if you have a voice, then use it on the worship team. If you if you're, have this passion for ministry for young dudes and you're in college and you want to pour into young men, then, then start a junior high Bible study with young men. Same thing for you girls. Man, if you guys are gifted in in evangelism or, or going and sharing the gospel, then start by inviting people to your youth group and to your churches where they can hear the gospel. Get involved, and not just in your youth groups, but in your churches. I think one of the reasons why so many people stop going to church is because, man, they're so used to youth group, but on Sundays, when the moment that they graduate and they start going on Sunday, it looks so different. And then you've got all these old people <laughs> surrounding you, and you're like, what's going on? And we're singing these songs, and there's a choir and whatever, you know. And can I just tell you, like I said, church is not about consuming. It's not about getting what you want. It's by pouring in. And there are older men and women that you need. Believe it or not, they do need you. And you need each other. Because there's this wisdom and there's this mentorship that you can get from these older men and women. And at the same time, they can, the older men and women can see what the Lord is doing amongst young people. And they can feel connected to the, to the work of the kingdom of God as a result. And it's such a beautiful thing. And that's what God has called us to. And you might be asking the question, man, where? And a lot of times when we talk about missions, we're talking about, man, everyone's a missionary. You can go and share the gospel. You're a missionary. The problem is, is that not everybody's a missionary. We're all called to live a life on mission. We're all called to go into wherever we're living to be Christ-like, not only in word, but in deed as well. So we need to be living the gospel. We need to be sharing it with our words as well. But we're not just called to do that. And there's some of us that are just called to be in our communities, plugged into our church, discipling young men in our communities, here at home, in California, in Orange County, in all these different places. But then there's some of us that are called to go to all the nations. You 
You guys turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 18. I'll let you guys get there. Give me a thumbs up when you guys are there. Sick. All right, here we go. Chapter 15, verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and by deed. I love that, by word and deed. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So in this moment, Paul is writing to the Romans, and he is saying, and I've fulfilled the ministry from Jerusalem all the way to around Illyricum. I'm done with my work there. Why? Because he's planted churches there. And he hasn't planted nearly as many churches as you would see in California, but he has planted churches. Let's say he planted six churches in that area. What is he doing there? He's saying, my work here is finished. And as a missionary, Paul is a missionary, as a missionary, he's saying, man, you guys are now responsible to disciple and make disciples, and those disciples make disciples. And then from there, the gospel just spreads like crazy. I am called to go somewhere where the gospel has not yet been heard, where people don't actually know the gospel, where the gospel is actually not written in their language where I'm able to go and learn their culture so that I can have common ground with these people so that then I can explain things to them, the things of God. And can I just tell you, being a missionary is a lifelong pursuit. It takes time and it takes learning and you have to learn different cultures and you have to pick a culture in which you you want to invest in, you want to learn their language, and you want to learn, man, how is it that we can share the gospel with these people in both word and deed? Because if you just show up to another country thinking you know everything, and you're just going to share it in their language, and they're just going to accept you, good luck. You need to learn everything about their culture, everything about their language, how to speak, and what makes them tick, what's important to them. I think many of us would be shocked to find out how many people have yet to still hear the gospel or yet to at least hear about the word of God or about Jesus Christ. Japan, for example, less than 1% of them are professing Christians. And there's, 120, there's 123 million people in Japan, less than 1% of them know Christ and profess to be believers. The rest of them, a vast majority of them, have not heard the gospel before. That's over 60 million people have not heard the gospel. And you think to yourself, how does that work? I mean, in a a first world country where they have all this technology and this access to information, can I just tell you, I mean, The enemies at work in the hearts and minds of so many people around the world, they can have so much access to so many different things. 
Yet things are preventing them from actually hearing the word of God. And I want us to recognize that and have a burden for them. And for some of you guys, man, not many of you guys, but some of you guys are called to go globally and to be a part of what God is doing in different countries and praise God for it. Man. The last thing is, why, why should I go and live out my purpose? 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Paul writes, the love of God compels us. The love of God compels us. Just think in your own life. Think of the grace and the love God has extended to you, those who believe in Jesus Christ. The way that he saved you from death to life. And in thinking about that, our only natural, natural response is to be able to do that for somebody else. How did you come to know the Lord? Well, guess what? Somebody told you. And to think, man, somebody told me about the gospel, whether it be my parents or somebody else, our youth pastor, our friend, I am called to do the same thing. Why? Because the love of God compels me. Because God loves me so much. Because God has had such grace and mercy on my life. I recognize, man, the people that don't know him are going to an eternity away from him. And that's the last thing I want. I want them to know him so that they can spend the rest of their eternity with him. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have never heard, or whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And we have the greatest burden to go and share the gospel. And you have people in your life that you love. And if you love them and you believe in the truth, if you love them and believe in the truth, then those things work together in the way that you share it with the people that you love. Why? Because you love them enough to share the truth with them and be honest with them. But you also love them enough not to prevent them from actually knowing the truth and doing it in a loving way. The question, the answer to the question that Paul asks right here when he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have never heard and be saved? The, the answer to that question is they won't. If they haven't heard of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, then they're like you and like me before we were saved, deserving of God's wrath, deserving of an eternity away from him. And I understand there's these theological arguments. Well, what about men, people that have never, ever heard, and they've, they've never gotten the chance to reject him? Man, can I just tell you, we can argue that all day, theologically, and yet people are still dying. And people are still going to an eternity away from the Lord. At the same time as while we're trying to come up with these theological arguments, and can we just read the Bible and live it? When it's clear, 
Paul is saying, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? He's saying they won't. Go and tell them. So as a result, the love of God compels us to go. And not just the love of God for all of you guys, but individually. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God loves you in an individual way. And he has saved you. He hasn't just saved a crew of you, a group of you, but he saved you. And he's transformed your heart. And he knows you intimately and personally. And he loves you as his child. Amen. Let that love, as it's poured into your heart, give you boldness and courage to go and share the gospel. Close with this, and then we're going to watch a video real quick. In China, there is a group of people, and um, it's called the CCP. It's, it's not just a group of people. It's essentially the entire Chinese government, the, communi- the Chinese Communist Party. And what's happening in China is this, is they're taking the word of God and they're rewriting it to help support communist ideals. And what's happening with the church at the same time is that the church in China is actually, there's starting to be restrictions on their churches in which the only Bibles that they can actually possess are Bibles that have been rewritten by the Chinese Communist Party that help support these ideas. And the Bible is vast, and the the things that they write in here are vastly opposed to what Christ says, and vastly different than what actually the Word of God actually means. And so, as a result, many of these churches have gone into hiding. They have to meet secretly to preach the Word of God, the true Word of God. They have to to hide in, in, in garages and basements to have their church sessions. Like Brian was saying earlier in this week, man, the, the government, all that stuff, all those people are onto them. And so their only response is to go and hide in these places and make sure that they're preaching from the word of God that has not been tainted and not been rewritten. And can I just tell you, I am sure that these people are zealous for the Lord, that they know him, and that they don't care about all these external things. All they care about is knowing God more and preaching Christ in the gospel. And the greatest danger for you and I, and it, though, though it might seem like, man, we're heading into a time where there might be persecution, we're heading in a time where more and more people just disagree with us and say, man, you're a bigot, or you can't tell me how to live my life, or whatever it might be, we live in this culture that, man, even just saying what you believe, you're already canceled. And it might seem like it's heading into a a time where we're going to be persecuted, but can I just tell you, the greatest danger for you and I is not persecution. It still is not. The greatest danger is not physical harm for persecution. It's not being thrown in prison. It's none of those things. The greatest danger for you and I is the love of the gospel and the zeal for the gospel growing cold and not caring and being apathetic to the things of the word of God. That's the greatest danger. Because if we have everything we need and we're surrounded by all these distractions, why would we ever feel the need to go? Think about it in your own life. Man, if you start to experience persecution in real time, 
where people would go up to you and say, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And you, you would, before you, would have an option between a life of comfort and then a life of suffering, yet still with Christ, what would you choose? And many of us, men, pursuing comfort all the days of our life, we'd say, "Mo, I'd choose Christ. Would you really? Because it seems like right now, your whole life is centered not around Christ, but it's centered around comfort and career and all these things that are not bad things. But without Christ at the center, they mean nothing. You've got to ask yourself the question, am I willing to live a life on mission? And if there's anything you got from today, it's that you have been given a purpose. And that you don't have to wonder, man, is a, life, is a Christian life actually truly worth living? Man, there's nothing more epic than living a life with Christ. There's nothing more fulfilling. There's nothing greater than sharing the word of God with somebody that has never heard it and seeing their eyes open up and seeing the heart softened and seeing a son of God come before Christ for the first time. There's nothing like that. And so you want to see it, be a part of your local church, be invested wholeheartedly, heart abandoned for the church, saying I would do anything for this church and I would go anywhere as well. Last quote, there's this missionary, his name is William Carey, he's from the 1700s, he's this famous missionary, and he was a missionary in India, and um, he has this famous quote, he's vast, I mean, he was successful in missions, and he led a lot of people to know the Lord, but that's not really what it's about, ultimately, he says this, he says, I'm not afraid of failure, I'm just afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. What could matter more than living a life on mission for Christ? This year, we had the opportunity, and you'll get to see it on the screen, we had the opportunity to partner with an organization called JAM Ministries, um, Jubilani Africa Missions, um, and... Um, the missionary that kind of leads their organization, his name is Jit, uh, G-I-T, what a sick name. Um, and he's, he's from South Africa, and he actually came here as a camper, and he was sitting where you're sitting. And in the seats that you guys were sitting, he felt the call on his life to go and start a missions organization and he went back to his home country of South Africa where he saw the need for the gospel to be preached. And he saw the need because there was poverty and there was not clean drinking water. And there's all these different things that he, he felt this urgency to preach the gospel in both word and deed. And so he felt the call in his life to go and do that. And this is the mission that he started. Go ahead and check out the screen. Awesome. So JIT has this amazing opportunity to partner with all these different organizations, Christian surfer organizations and um, skating ministries and um, all these camps. He runs camps over in northern South Africa now. And so he's doing all this stuff for the sake of sharing the gospel. But not only that, I mean, being a light in the community, you heard he's developing leaders and he's developing disciples as well. 
that are to go into the communities and there, from there have an impact. So he's not the only impact center. It's such an amazing ministry. So just in a moment, uh, we're going to take offering. And I want you guys to know, man, you're under no obligation to give. This isn't like something we're asking you to do. This is something, man, we'd ask that you would give out of the gratitude in your heart. But this money that you guys will give essentially, essentially will go to Jubilani Africa Ministries with JIT and help him kind of uh, help support him in the work that he's doing out in South Africa in Limpopo province, as you guys were seeing in the video. But not only will this money go there, this money will also go to Hume International, which is nothing up here at the lake or any of our Christian camps on campus. So none of this money will go to Ponderosa, Meadow Ranch, any of that kind of thing. It'll all, it will go to Human International, which is our international ministry in which we run Christian camps in places like Thailand, in places like Papua New Guinea, in places like Mexico and Nigeria, where we're sharing the gospel with students just like we are here. And so if you guys want to help and support, you can go ahead and do that by giving. And so I'm going to invite our lead counselors to come down to the front. Um, we're going to be playing some music as you guys um, are going to be praying. And I'd ask that you guys would pray for two things, okay? I'd ask that you pray that God would stir in your heart a greater passion to share the gospel. And number two, would you just pray for Jam Ministries? Would you just pray for Jit and, and the work that he's doing over in northern South Africa? That God would be using him boldly and mightily to go and share the gospel and be a light in his community. Can we do that? Awesome. Hey, um, we're going to take the time to pray for just a couple moments, and then uh, the worship team is going to kind of lead us in one more song. Let's do it.